If you would, grab your Bible, Bible app, and join me in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. As you're finding Revelation chapter 6, all right, kids, I want to introduce you to today's special Bible word. All right, today's special Bible word. If we could have that on the screen, that would be great. And so here, I'll just tell you what we're going to do. All right, so um, I want you to count and kind of keep track of how many times you hear today's special Bible word. All right, and um, today's special Bible word is horse. It's horse. All right, there you go. So, t- all right, today's special Bible word for the kids is is horse. So you keep track of how many times you hear me say or we read and you hear the word horse and at the end come up to me afterward, all right, and tell me how many times you heard that word, the special Bible word is horse and we'll get you a pr- give you a prize out of the prize box, okay? So if you found Revelation chapter 6, all right, join me there. Um, let me ask a question. How many of you have ever had to wait in a waiting room? You've had to wait in a waiting room. I want you to turn to the people next to you and talk about what kind of feelings or thoughts or emotions do you usually have when you are waiting in a waiting room. So talk about that amongst yourselves. All right, help me out here. What are some of the things, feelings, thoughts that you sometimes have while you're waiting in a waiting room? Lack of patience. Absolutely. Remind me your first name. Evan or Kevin? Kevin. And how long did you walk to get here this morning? Yeah. So Kevin walked about an hour and a half to be here this morning. Pretty amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, Kevin, we're glad you're here, man. That's awesome. Yeah, so lack of patience, right? What else, what other kinds of feelings or emotions do you sometimes have when you're in a waiting room? Yeah, anxiety. Say again. Boredom, right? Say again. Yeah, get judgmental, all right. Yeah. Sometimes excited, okay. I'm trying to think of a time when I've been excited in waiting room. Oh, her kids, yeah. Uh, when she's pregnant, my bad. Um, sorry. <laughs> sorry, children. Um, I was excited. I was. Um, yeah, other, other feelings, emotions that sometimes you have in a waiting room. What else? Anticipation, right, okay. Yeah, I mean, waiting rooms, right, they bring with it a, a, a lot of different kinds of emotions, and, and sometimes there's not a lot to do in a waiting room. Right before there were phones, cell phones, right? I mean, there's just nothing to do typically but read a magazine. And do we even know what those are anymore? I'm not really sure, right? So there's just not a lot to do in a waiting room. And sometimes waiting can be painful and it can be hard. And two weeks ago, we were in Revelation chapter 5. And in Revelation chapter 5, we, we see the Apostle John, he, he, he sees this scroll. And the scroll is sealed seven times. And what's in that scroll is God's will or God's justice for how he is going to distribute justice, not on his church, but to vindicate his church, to prove to the nations, to prove to the world that Jesus is king and that his church is right in giving their lives to follow him. That's what's inside this scroll. And so as we kept reading John, or Revelation chapter 5, John sees this lamb who we come to understand is Jesus 
And, and, and John is eagerly waiting for Jesus to break open the seals, rip apart that scroll, and begin to put his justice into motion. And like John, when you and I are asking God the question, how much longer, right? In those moments, like John, we're to look to heaven, we're to remember our Savior and our salvation and persevere with praise. So how, how did that go for you the past couple of weeks since we were la- together last time? Today's question it, it, that I want to put before us is this. What do you do when God's answer to your how much longer is wait? What do you do when God's answer to your how much longer is wait? I think what John sees in Revelation chapter 6 is going to help us answer that question, right? Now, to kind of help us remember how do we interpret the symbols and the imagery that we're going to see in Revelation chapter 6 and throughout the rest of this book, um, Tim Mackey, who is the founder of the Bible Project, gives us some good helps here. If you're not familiar with the Bible Project, I highly recommend you Google them, look them up. They have some great teaching tools as far as how to understand the scriptures. But this is what he has to say about how to understand the images and the symbols that we're going to see today in Revelation. He says, in order to understand the symbols of Revelation, we need to look first to the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. The visions and the way they're represented will be full of symbolism tied to the Hebrew Bible. So as we've said before, it's always important that you use the Bible to understand the Bible especially when we come to this book of Revelation, because the images that we're going to see this morning in Revelation 6, we also see in the Old Testament. Some of the Old Testament prophets saw things very similar to what John sees in Revelation chapter 6. And so the question I think many people are asking is, so are these events that we're going to read in Revelation 6, are they, did they already happen in the past? Are they happening are they still to come? The answer to that question is, is one that really Bible scholars have been trying to figure out for hundreds of years. Is the tribulation now? Is the tribulation later? Maybe. Maybe not. And I'll be perfectly honest with you where I'm at when, with all of this, and, and people disagree, and that's fine. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know that the revelation of Jesus Christ that we read here in the book of Revelation was first intended to challenge and encourage the first century church. I do know that. That it was written, because we're told that in Revelation chapter 1, it's written to seven regions of churches. And so I know that this revelation that John is seeing was first intended to encourage them because many of them were experiencing intense persecution and suffering, but also to challenge them because many of them were living lives of compromise and complacency and apathy towards sin and God's holiness. So I do know that this revelation of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation, was first intended to be an encouragement and challenge to those first century readers, those first century Christians. But I also know that this revelation of Jesus Christ is to be a blessing to us. To those of us right now who are reading it, because chapter 1, verse 3 says, 
Blessed are those who read these words aloud and who hear it and keep the words that are written in it. So those are the things that we do know about the book of Revelation. And so as we continue our study in this book this morning, let's remember that the book of Revelation is less about how the world is going to end. It's less about the end times and more about the victory of the church through our resurrected King Jesus. So as we read Revelation, we always want to be looking for Jesus and looking for victory. Right? Those are the things that we do know as we approach this book of Revelation. And the question before us this morning is, what do you do when God's answer to your how much longer is wait? And I think what John sees in Revelation 6 is going to help us answer that. So, so let's dig in. Revelation chapter 6. Let's first look at the first eight verses. So kids, get ready. You're going to hear the special word a few times here. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. So these first eight verses, Jesus, who is the Lamb, opens four different seals on the scroll. And every time he breaks one of the seals, the first four seals, out comes this horse, right? Now, to help us understand that, let's use the Bible to understand the Bible. Go back to the book of Zechariah. Go back to the book of Zechariah, chapter 6, all right? So let's go there, Zechariah chapter 6, because the prophet Zechariah sees something very similar to what John sees. Zechariah chapter 6. And I think it's going to help us make sense of what John's seeing in Revelation chapter 6. So Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Again, I lifted my eyes. So Zechariah 6, 1 through 7. I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes towards the north country. The white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go toward the south country. Verse 7, When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. 
Going into verse 8, then he cried to me, behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Now let me help unpack that a little bit. So what Zechariah is seeing is God is showing Zechariah a vision. And like John, he sees four different colored horses. And these horses represent how God is going to go to the north country. At that time, it would be Babylon, Assyria, Persia, which were nations that were attacking his people Israel and holding them captive. And so God is sending out his justice on those countries, on those nations that were persecuting his people. And in the south, that would be Egypt. And so here we have Zechariah is seeing God give him a vision, paint him a picture that's going to show God bringing justice on those people who are hurting his people. And to prove to those people that God is God and there is no one like him. And so that's what Zechariah sees with those four different colored horses. And so as we have that as our backdrop, now we come into the vision that John sees in Revelation chapter 6. And so if we look at Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, you have that first horse, right? And the first horse is what color? Right, it's a white horse, right? And he's a rider it comes out on it and has a bow and a crown is given to him. And what's this white horse doing? It's conquering. Right, present tense, he is conquering and he set out to conquer more. Now, I don't think this is Jesus because every time we see Jesus on a white horse, he's holding a sword. All right, and so here, I think what we have are government type leaders who are set out to get more. All right, they're out to conquer, they're conquering, and they're out to conquer more. Does that make sense? And I think this leads us into the next seal that Jesus breaks open. Verses 3 and 4. And so when he opens a second seal, he hears a second living creature say, come, and out comes another horse. What color is this horse? Red. And this rider is permitted to take peace from the earth. What are you left with when peace is taken from the earth? Say, yeah, I heard it. War. You're left with war. And so here you have these government leaders out conquering, out to take more, and how are they doing it? War. It's so, so you have war happening. And did you know that but since World War II, just 80 years ago, there's been over 150 different kinds of wars in the world just since World War II? There's one happening right now, right? Russia, Ukraine. Right? So war is not something that we're unfamiliar with. It's definitely not something that the first century readers were unfamiliar with because they were living in a wartime under the Roman Empire which is setting out to conquer and to conquer more. And so I think this red horse is meant to represent war. And then we go to the third seal, and a third horse comes out. What color is this horse? Black horse, right. And what's, what's happening here? You see scales. John sees scales. And what are they measuring? Food, right? They're measuring food. Why? Because it's so scarce, that they have to ration it. So what's happening here? Famine. A famine has now happened. So how, it, I think these seals are in progression. I think you have military or government leaders out to conquer more. They're conquering more through war. What's usually a result of war? Famine. And actually, there's a famine happening right now in North Africa because of the war between Russia and Ukraine. Most of the North African countries actually get their wheat from Russia and Ukraine. But there's a shortage now because of the war that's happening. So famine is happening now in our current time. It was happening back then. And there's still going to be famines to come. 
And so I think this horse, this black horse, represents famine. And that moves us to this fourth horse, or the fourth seal, which outcomes the fourth horse. And what color is this one? Pale, right? The color of death. And that's what this is. It's a color of death and with Hades right behind it. And it says, it says, they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with famine, with disease, and by wild beasts of the earth. And so I think these are progression. All right, so you have government leaders out to get more. They're doing it with war. The result of war is famine, and the result of famine is just disease and death and pestilence. And actually, it was under Roman law, criminals or prisoners of war could be punished by wild beasts, where they would sometimes even put Christians in an arena. They would either put those Christians in an arena naked or with animal skins on to incite the lion or the tiger or the leopard or whatever that was going to maul them to death. And even when you have war and famine, wild beasts are running everywhere. So I think that's what we're seeing here happen. So what does all this mean, right? (laughs) What's all this mean? Let's go back to the Old Testament. Again, different prophet. Go to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 14. Again, we have Zechariah helping us understand that those four colored horses were symbolizing God bringing justice upon the nations that were persecuting his people. Ezekiel chapter 14 is where we want to go. Ezekiel chapter 14, and we'll look at verse 6, and then we'll move forward to verse 20. So God is speaking here, and he says this. He says, therefore, verse 6, Ezekiel chapter 14, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. So God, through Ezekiel, is saying, listen, repent, come back to me. Now go to verse 12 of Ezekiel chapter 14. And the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel again, Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only their own lives by righteousness, declares the Lord. Verse 15, if I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they ravage it, same thing. God says at the end of verse 16, even if those three men, they would, they'd only deliver themselves, not anybody else. Verse 17, if I bring sword, war upon that land and say, let a sword pass through the land and I cut off from it man and beast. Though these three men were in it, as I live, declares the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters. And then verse 19, if I send pestilence. So same kinds of judgments, war, famine, wild disease, same kinds of things that John sees in Revelation chapter 6. Verse 21 of Ezekiel 14, For thus says the Lord God, How much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, and peasants. Where have we seen that? We just saw it in Revelation 6. To cut off from it man and beast. And what's happening here, God is using those same judgments to bring his people back to repent. He's actually pouring out those judgments on his people at that time to get his people to recognize once again who he is and repent and come back to him. The vision that John sees in Revelation chapter 6 is not those judgments not being poured out on his people, but being poured out on those who are persecuting his people. And I think just like in Ezekiel, I always believe that God's justice 
is also an invitation to receive his mercy. God's justice is an invitation to receive his mercy. And we see that later on here in chapter 6 of Revelation because you're going to see the response of the people who are experiencing this judgment and justice of God in Revelation chapter 6. So is there hope in all of this? (laughs) Right? We read this, we go, oh my word. Government leaders, war, famine, death, pestilence, disease, wild beasts. Is there any hope for us in any of this? Absolutely. And I think here's the truth for us in all of this. These things only happen when the lamb breaks open the seal. What that tells me is that even when all hell seems to break loose in our world, Jesus is still in control. So you can take a truth from this. I think the church can take it that even when hell seems to be breaking loose in your life or in this world, our response is the same. Our king is in complete control. And there's a comfort in that if you know him. There's a comfort in that. And we're just saying the government is resting on his shoulders. And so John is seeing this unfold and God is going to bring judgment and justice and he brings it through these different events and elements But ultimately, I believe God's heart, and we see this throughout the book of Revelation, the rest of it, is to call people to repent and to turn back. And I believe his judgment is being poured out on the nations, on the people who are causing his people suffering for the purpose of bringing people to repent. His justice is an invitation to receive his mercy. And then John opens another, or Jesus opens another seal, verses 9 through 11. When he opens the fifth seal, John no longer sees a horse, But now he sees souls under an altar, right? And why are they there? It tells us they're there because they have stood for Jesus. They've stood for the truth. And they remain loyal to Jesus even when it was difficult. Even in the difficult struggle of life. And in the difficulty of the culture in which they were living at the time. And he hears them then ask this question. That's the question. How much longer? Right? And he says, that, here's their question, how long before you, God, will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, unpacking that question, here's what I think the question is really saying. God, when will you vindicate? When are you going to prove to everyone that you're right? When are you going to do that, God? And when are you going to prove to everyone that not only you're right, but that we, the church, are right to give our lives to follow you? I think that's their question. And have you ever wondered that? Have you ever felt that as a follower of Jesus? Absolutely, I have. Like, God, when are you going to just prove that you're right? Because when I look around the world, it doesn't seem like it. When are you going to bring justice? When are you going to avenge your people? When are you going to prove to people that, that we're right in following you because of who you are? And I think that's their question. And I just got to think that John was feeling that. I was just thinking about this this week, and I'm wondering, maybe John's thinking, God, you... You brought justice for Noah and his family by bringing the flood. God, you brought justice for your people when they're being held slaves for 400 years under Pharaoh. You brought justice for your people by setting them free and then, you know, wiping out Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. God, you brought justice for your people through David when he defeated Goliath. God, what do you bring justice for us? I wonder if that's the, that's the heart behind the question. And if you've ever thought that, you're not alone. And then John hears the answer. John hears the answer in verse 11. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer 
until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed and they themselves had been. What's the answer? Wait. Rest a little longer. Not the answer you were hoping for. That's not the answer I would have been hoping for. But God's rest a little longer. But tied up in that response is this. He says, wait, but wait with a patient expectation. Don't just wait, but I want you to wait because there's something coming. There's something coming. You can wait, but you can wait looking forward to something. Well, what is that? And what do you do when God's answer to your how much longer is wait? I think the answer to that is wrapped up in the white robes these souls are given. Go to chapter 7, verse 9. Chapter 7. To help us understand a little bit of these white robes. Chapter 7, verse 9, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And what are they wearing? Say it. White robes. And what do they have in their hands? Palm branches. Back in that culture, palm branch represented victory. It represented triumph and peace. And so here are God's people dressed in white robes. Victory. It's a victory party. For who? Keep reading. Verse 10. And crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's people dressed in white, waving palm branches. They are there at the victory party claiming our king won. He defeats death. He defeats sin. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. But there's something else tied to these white robes that I think will help us understand too. Go to verse 14 of chapter 7 says, and I said to him, sir, you know, and he says to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So these white robes represent victory of our King Jesus, but they also represent forgiveness through his blood poured out on the cross for you. Does anybody remember this past uh, January, any college football fans here maybe, um, the team that won the national championship, college football? Do you remember who? Okay, Any, anybody? Say? Georgia. All right, Georgia won. Georgia won the national championship. So Georgia, the, the college university, right, they had this huge victory party. And it, it, in their stadium, it was just massive. Thousands of people show up for this victory party for them winning the national championship. And you could go to this party, but you had to have a ticket. Now, the ticket was free. You just had to have the ticket. All you had to do was get a ticket. It was free. You just had to have a ticket to get into this victory party. Listen, church, there is a victory party coming. And if you know Jesus as your Savior and you are believing that by his blood on the cross, you have been set free from your sins, he is your ticket into the party. That's worth a hallelujah. All right, that's worth like, that's awesome. Right, and so even though they're told, wait and rest a little longer, you don't just wait. You wait getting ready for a victory party. And you wait knowing why you're able to be there. Because you've received the ticket, the free ticket given to you by the blood of Jesus Christ poured out for you on the cross. Man. And that's how we get it. That's how we get through it. This is why we wait getting ready for the victory party. And then we keep reading verse 12. When he opens a sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth. Makes me think of like Chicken Little. 
The sky is falling. The sky. I mean, that's kind of when I was reading that, I'm like, oh, it's like Chicken Little. The sky is falling. Right. I don't. Anyway, so that's kind of what's going on here. Like, that's what he's seeing. And it's falling to the earth. It's like you're shaking a fig tree and all the fruits falling off of it. Verse 14, the sky vanishes like a scroll. It's being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals, the rich and the powerful. So no one, regardless of your social status, your, how much money is, is exempt from the justice of God. Everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks and the mountains. And they're calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, all these different things that John sees. Earthquake. What's that, what, what's that point to? I think it points to God's presence. If you go back to Exodus chapter 19, Mount Sinai, what happens when God shows up? Earthquake. And you see that actually all throughout the Old Testament. Often earthquakes are representing God's, God just showed up. Sun darkening. Moon turning to like a reddish color, like a blood color. That would take us back to the prophets Joel and Amos who said the same thing. Pointing us to those things representing God bringing judgment, God bringing justice on those nations who refused and rebelled against him. Then you have the stars falling like fig leaves. Where's that from? Isaiah chapter 34 verse 4 says exactly the same thing that John sees. Again, in context of God bringing his justice and judgment on nations who are rebelling and rejecting him. So all of these take us back to the Old Testament. And if you're a first century follower of Jesus who knew the, 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 the Old Testament, these would have clicked in your head. It's like, oh yeah, these are all things that, that the Old Testament prophets saw and they represented God's judgment and justice. Where else did we see something similar? Can you remember another moment when there was an earthquake, the sky, I mean the sun turned dark, and rocks began to fall. The crucifixion, the cross. The cross. And what was happening at the cross? God was pouring out his justice that you and I deserve for our sins and pouring it out on his son. Why? So that you could be there for the victory party. And I just wonder if when John sees this, he is moved. He is moved because his mind would have been gone back to the cross. Back to the cross. And I think this also would have been a warning to the compromising, complacent first century followers of Jesus. Because it would have been a warning to say, whoa, wait a second. Okay, God's justice is coming. Where does my loyalty lie? Is it with my Savior or is it with my sin? And I think it's a warning for us too. As God's people today, where does your loyalty lie? With your Savior or with your sin? Because listen, Jesus is either your Savior or he's your judge. Which is it for you? He's either your Savior or your judge. Which is it for your family members, your coworkers? All the more reason, church, why we need to live like everyday missionaries. Because Jesus is either your neighbor's judge or their Savior. And you get the privilege of sharing with them how Jesus can no longer, doesn't need to be their judge anymore if they would just receive him as Savior. That they too can be present for the victory party. That's our joy. We get that joy of sharing that with people. But there's a truth for us as we wrap up here. There's a truth for us at the end of chapter 6. Notice who the people are crying out to. And notice, do they recognize where this judgment's coming from? Yeah, they do. 
They're calling, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. They know that this is God's judgment for them. They know that. But rather than cry out to their creator for mercy, they call out to creation to kill them. God's judgment, again, is an invitation to his mercy. And I think what we see here is just the hardness of man's heart. That even if, like we read earlier in Ezekiel, even if God were to pour out all these things on people, people will still refuse him. They will still refuse him. And then that leads him to cry out with another question. What's the final question in verse 17? For the great day of their wrath has come. And they're crying and they're saying, and who can stand? And the answer, chapter 7. The answer to that question, who can withstand God's justice, is chapter 7. And I think what we have here in Revelation chapter 6 is this. You mess with Jesus' people, you mess with Jesus. Remember Saul on the road to Damascus? Jesus knocks him off his horse. What's Jesus, asks Saul? Why are you persecuting my people? Is that what he says? No. What's he say? Why persecuting me? You mess with Jesus' people, you mess with the king. I love that about my king. It reminded me of Lord of the Rings. As I was reading this series, like, I'm like, remember that scene where like, the, the, like Frodo and the little hobbit? Well, the hobbits are little. So the, the hobbits are like on Weathertop, and the Nazgul or whatever you call them, like, they're like just tear. I mean, it's just like looking like this is the end for Frodo. He gets stabbed, right? All this, it just looks bad. And then Aragorn comes flying through, not literally flying, but like, like just comes, like holding this flamethrower torch and just goes to town and takes care of business. I'm like, yeah, buddy. You know, and you're like, get out of your chair, your couch. Like, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And don't you like, I want a king like that. You have a king like that, church. And his name is Jesus Christ. And there's a victory party coming. And if you have Jesus as your savior, he is your ticket into the party. That is how you wait. That is what you do while you wait. And so like those wearing the white robes, washed clean, you wait anticipating King Jesus' victory party, and you wait remembering why you're able to be there. It's because of his blood that was poured out for you on his cross to wash you clean so that you could be with him and be, be there for the party. So as we think about this this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come. As you think about this, what, what truths resonate for you this morning? from Revelation chapter 6. What, what's kind of, what's the spirit impressing upon your heart this morning from what John sees here? Or maybe a different question is, what's something that you can do now to get ready for the victory party to come? I want you to talk about that just a couple minutes with one another. What seems to be resonating with you this morning from what John sees here in Revelation 6? Or what's something that maybe you could do now in preparation for the victory party. Just talk about that amongst yourselves a little bit. Can we stand together as we prepare to prepare for the victory party? <laughs> and would you just, can we just share together just for a moment? I just, just to encourage one another, what's the spirit of God saying to you this morning? What, is there something that resonating with you that you guys talked about? Would you just shout it out just so we can all be encouraged by maybe something the spirit's doing? Bring more people to the party. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely. What else? It's good. It's just so good to be reminded that how good we do have it as followers of Jesus. Right? Anything else? 
keep telling your kids. Yeah. Amen. Say again. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's great. That's a great point, Paul. Unlike the team who didn't know if they were going to win, we know we already have the victory. And so we go through it with it. I love that. It's good. Somebody else. Somebody else. Yeah. Makes you want to live your life in service to him, knowing you serve a God like that. Yeah. Good. Guys, a victory party is coming. <laughs> That's crazy. And if you know Jesus, I have good. I mean, if you know Jesus, He's given you the ticket. He's the ticket. And what joy! And so we can sing now, preparing our hearts for that victory party to come. Man, if you're here and you need prayer this morning, just come. Maybe all hell seems to be breaking loose for you. <laughs> and you're like, I know Jesus is in control, but I just need someone to come alongside and just pray with me this morning. We're here. We'll stand off to the side. Ask Chris and Betsy stand over there. Andrew and I'll be over here and just. We can pray with you, all right? But as we sing, let's sing with hearts and minds, knowing that there's a victory party coming. And as they were clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen.